Hello and welcome to the NBA Next podcast presented by Track. I am Scott Allen and I'm joined by Keith Smith. We are here to talk about what is financially next in the NBA. Keith, we have two extensions to talk about and then some division questions for the Atlantic Division. Let's jump back. We talked about Devin Vassell last week about him signing his extension. We actually have the details now. Um, and the structure is quite interesting on what they did. Hoping you can explain why they may have done what they've done uh, in year one and year four being different than the other years. Yeah, I think what's interesting with this one for Vassell is my guess is how this negotiation went down was they landed on the overall number. Then of course they added some bonuses in there. That's something the Spurs like to do. They they've done that with uh, Keldon Johnson's extension. Now they've done that with Vassell's extension. Uh, they also did that with re-signing Trey Jones. So I think you're going to see that be a thing for them. So you land on those two numbers and everybody's good. And then from there it becomes almost a structured, however you want, because there's no options in this. There are no, uh, everything's fully guaranteed. So it's, hey, we're still getting our full, you know, uh, well, what is it? It's 135 uh, guaranteed here. We have the bonuses we could achieve. But if you want to structure it in a way that makes sense for you, have at it because we're still getting all of our money. So what they did was they, they front loaded it um, to an extent. It's I think people hear that, especially at this time of year, and they're, they're in NFL mode. They think, um, yo, this is one of those things where it's like 40 million in year one and like five in year two. Um, it doesn't really work like that in the NBA. So what they've done is they've started him high at 29.3 million. Then the next two years are each at 27 million. The fourth season is at 24.6 million. And then the final season goes back up to 27 million. And why I think they've structured it this way is for two reasons. One, I think the Spurs know we're probably not like real cap space players next summer. So having it start 29.3 million, not a big deal. We're, we're good. We're, we're happy to do that. The summers after that, when Victor Wambanyama will have had two years in uh, to to his uh, career, they may be looking at saying, yeah, bringing that number down a little bit, that's beneficial. So you bring it down to $27 million each of those next two years. Then really bringing it down to $24.6 million, Devin Vassell that year, as it stands today, and this will, of course, change with other extensions and the like, but as it stands today, that's the only money that the Spurs have on their books in the, the summer 2027 will be his $24.6 million. So bringing it down is basically as far as you can with the 8% allowable uh, declines. They got him down to that number with the idea, my guess is, of hey, that's Wambinyama's probably first year of his extension, assuming everything goes well. We'll see what happens with some of the other guys on the roster, but let's have that number be low. So that way, let's face it, if everything goes the way we're thinking, we're probably paying Wembenyama max. So we're going to max him out. And then we're, we're going to go from there. And then what happens is now you've maximized your cap space. Then that final year, the fifth year in 2028-29, jumps up back up to $27 million. And I think what's smart about the Spurs doing that instead of leaving it flat or letting it roll out is that's a number that feels 
potentially extendable off of where Vassell's not giving up a lot of money in extensions. What we've seen in these deals, and don't get me wrong, I love a declining contract, especially for an older player, but Vassell will be kind of, you know, moving into his, you know, full prime years there. He'll be about 28 years old at that point in that season. So what will happen is they can then, you know, maybe extend him off that number where if you kept this on a straight declining contract, that number probably gets too low. And then all of a sudden it's like, all right, this doesn't feel real right to, to extend off of. So that's where these value signings or these signings that are uh, straight declining contracts, they look great in the moment. But if the player's not an older player and there still is upside value in those latter years, it becomes much harder to extend them off that number. So I think San Antonio, very creative with the way they structured this. And I think it's a major, major win for them. Yeah, I agree. So um, it's going to be interesting to see how they continue to build around Wimbignana, Vassell, um, Kelton Johnson, because he's got, uh, you know, guaranteed money through 2026. So uh, they're on the right path. It's interesting for the small market to pivot and, you know, we'll see how everything flushes out with the remainder of that roster moving forward. Transitioning into the other extension that was uh, agreed upon yesterday or day before, Peyton Pritchard with Boston, four for $30 million, AAV of seven and a half, which I'm assuming is really good deal uh, based on what you had said on Twitter X. And um, what can you say regarding this extension for Boston? Yeah, this one sort of, it's for a little bit more money, but which is probably just pricing in where everything's going, uh, sort of mirrors what Nasir Little did, uh, very likely, um, where he signed an extension for four years, $28 million, uh, last summer with the Portland Trailblazers. He's since been traded to the Phoenix Suns as part of that, that uh, three-team Damian Lillard trade. But what this is, is this is, I think, that contract and this Pritchard contract is the player and the team understanding, hey, what's fair value here? Peyton Pritchard, it used to be a guy like Peyton Pritchard would say, nah, anything under the mid-level exception, I'll bet on myself, I'll go into free agency and you know, hopefully I'll have a big season and then we'll kind of go from there. I think what we're seeing with Peyton Pritchard now is I think guys are looking at and saying, ah, that mid-level may not be there for me. The mid-level amount has also climbed enough that, all right, that may not be there. There's less teams, it looks like, that may end up having full access to that mid-level with the way that the rules work in the new CBA. So you start to add all those things up and Peyton Pritchard may be like, you know, my real value is probably somewhere around seven and a half million. And that would be getting a chunk of the mid-level or getting a, a little bit more, but you know, the room exception from a cap space team or the, uh, the, you know, a bit more than the taxpayer uh, MLE from, from a uh, non-tax team. So I think what he's probably really look or from a tax paying team, I should say, what he's probably really looking at and saying, all right, this makes sense for me. This is probably where my value is. And then from the Celtics side, it's a chance to lock into another player because let's face it, they're going to be a super tax team here the next several years. They're going to be way over whether it's, you know, right now they're already there. And that's probably going to continue at least for the next few years as they, 
eventually extend Jason Tatum. They'll have Jalen Brown. They're going to do something with Drew Holiday, whether it's an extension or it becomes a uh, you know new contract for him one way or another. So I think what you're looking at is, all right, we can't continue a, a talent drain. They lost Grant Williams this summer. They don't want to continue watching productive rotation players walk out the door. So, hey, we can lock up Peyton Pritchard. And if nothing else, we now have a $7.5 million trade chip that we can use down the line, you know, in, in a deal if that's what we need to do. Yeah, this is great value for both sides. I mean, even if you get into year two or three of that extension, you know, that's a tradable salary for, you know, a decent amount. If they're not a super tax team in three years for some reason, you know, then they can aggregate him with something else. But on his side, he's getting guaranteed $30 million. So at his level, you take what you can get. Yeah, that's exactly it. Sorry, I was looking away from the mic. Um, That's exactly it. He is, Peyton Pritchard's had a little bit of a weird start to his career in his first few years. Year one, he was a big part of the rotation, played a lot for the Celtics. Year two, still part of the rotation, but didn't play quite, quite as big a role. Then year three, he really wasn't a part of it in that crowded backcourt with Marcus Smart, uh, Derek White and Malcolm Brogdon. He had really uh, completely fallen out of things there. And he was really used as kind of a change of pace player on a night when guys were out. That's when he would play. This year, he projects to be a major part of the rotation. There, we're, I know we're going to talk about it here in a couple minutes, so I won't step all over it uh, right now. But they've got some decisions to make on how they start. But whether they start with both Drew Holiday and Derek White in the starting group, or they 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 do something different. Peyton Pritchard's gonna play a lot. He's the third guard in really what is shaping up to be a three guard rotation uh, with White and Holiday. So that means there's a lot of minutes coming his way. And the Celtics really like him. They they've challenged him to become a better playmaker. Uh, he really came in with a kind of shoot first, score first mindset. So, which is fine. That that was you know really what his role was. Now it has become a better playmaker, and and I think people have this misconception because he is small. He's only about six foot one. That he's a bad defender. He's not a bad defender. He's just a small defender. So you know if you match him up with a you know like size guy or even a guy who's a little bit bigger but not a threat to take him down inside, he you know, does good. And with all the other talent, they should be able to switch him and scramble him out of mismatches and the like as they go uh, there or send help and whatever they need if he gets caught up in a tough switch. So they, they, they're really happy with him. And that $7.5 million, if he becomes, you know, a, a pretty good backup point guard, that's really fair money for what his role will be. All right, so let's just transition right into the Atlantic Division rotation and roster questions that you've done i mean we posted that uh back on october 3rd so a week ago so maybe some of these have changed slightly but with the boston celtics who are their starters going to be starting the season yeah yeah i think and i wrote this in the piece i think you're going to hear a lot of the you know old we have six starters stuff that coaches like to say and players like to say when it's really we don't want someone to you know feel bad about sitting. Um, but it is kind of the reality. We know Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, those two are locks to start. Chris Stapps, Porzingis is going to start. They brought Drew Holiday off the bench in the first preseason game. I 
kind of think that might be the last time we see that. So I'm going to put him as a you know tentative lock to start. Then it becomes what happens with Derek White now Horford. Who starts over that? Uh, or who starts in that fifth spot? If the Celtics are committed to playing two big men, which we'll see if that's what they want to do, it'll obviously be Al Horford who starts. Luke Cornett and Wenyan Gabriel are, you know, they're really the backup bigs right now for the Celtics, um, or they, they just go very, very small. And those guys are probably best as third and fourth or fourth and fifth uh, bigs in a rotation uh, is really where they should be. So if they want to rebalance the lineup a little bit, you you put Horford on the bench. That solves your backup center problem, and you let White continue to start. So we're going to see. You know, my guess is this is something where all six of these guys start plenty. Uh, Horford doesn't play back to backs at this point in his career. He's not uh, privy to the uh, new uh, player participation policy because he's not an all-star level guy. So the Celtics can rest away as much as they want. So um, it may be matchup dependent. I think when you play teams like Milwaukee or Philadelphia, where Horford has really defended Giannis and Joel Embiid as well as you can, it's not that he shuts those guys down because nobody does, but he, he does well and they, uh, you may see him start there, and then White comes off the bench in that spot. So, so we're going to see you know where this all goes, but it's going to be pretty fluid. And I think what the Celtics are really looking for is Horford, White, maybe Drew Holiday. We'll see. Hey, you guys are all veterans. We're trying to win a championship here. Let's yo yo all whatever sacrifices need to be made need to be made. I I like your second question. I'm going to ask it. I know I've only been doing one per team, but is there really enough off this bench? <laughs> they seem very top heavy right now. Yeah, it's that top six, and then there's a pretty big drop off. So Peyton Pritchard, we already talked about him, so it won't spend any more time there, but he is going to be in the rotation. Then Sam Hauser becomes, you know, likely the next guy. Uh, his whole thing is, is he making shots? If he's making shots, he'll play. If he's not making shots, he's probably not going to play. He was a better defender than um, uh, people gave him credit for. Teams would go out of their way to attack him. And nightly viewers of the Celtics started to almost, and Celtics fans obviously started to almost be like, don't do it. It's not going to go well for you. And then uh, we mentioned Cornette and Gabriel. Those guys will be the the uh, third and fourth bigs likely in the rotation. And then after that, it's kind of a grab bag of guys who are on non-guaranteed camp deals, rookie deals, and that. So guys like O'Shea Brissett, Delano Banton, Saeed Makai Luke, Lamar Stevens, and Jordan Walsh. They'll probably all get chances. And then the last thing I'll say is Celtics do have a $6.2 million trade exception from the Grant Williams sign and trade uh, to the Dallas Mavericks. So my guess is that may get used to bring something in. Maybe maybe the need ends up turning into we need another wing. Uh, maybe it is we really do need to add another big to this rotation. Boston has been pretty aggressive at the last uh, couple of trade deadlines trying to add. So I think, you know, keep an eye on that. But yeah, right now it's, it's, it's a, it's going to be a work in progress and it's going to be some experimentation from uh, Joe Missoula over these probably first month. That's why between that adding Porzingis and holiday who have always been either the first or second option on their team. Now they're moving into third and fourth option territory, the lack of depth, it may be a bumpy start for the Celtics. I, I've said repeatedly, you know, the 
the the Miami Heat when they came together with LeBron, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosh, they were a they were something like ten and ten in their first twenty games or something around there. And people were like, I don't know, is this gonna work? Wouldn't be a surprise if Celtics got off to a little bit of a bumpy start as everybody kind of figured out roles and all that stuff, and then they took off after that. So but you know, as it stands right now, yeah, the depth it it's really a we'll see, you know, can these guys step into bigger roles. In Brooklyn, who's gonna be the starting point guard, Spencer Dinwiddie or Ben Simmons? Yeah, the the answer here seems like it should be Spencer Dinwiddie because he he's been there. He's played well as a starting point guard. Uh, he was there, you know, previously before this uh, return to Brooklyn, so they're very familiar with him. But Ben Simmons is back, and he started last night. Now they're missing Cam Johnson. We'll see if he's back for the start of the season. So everybody kind of. Uh, shuffled a little bit positionally there and Simmons played and looked healthy. That was the most important thing. He played fairly well, um, you know, with him. And I think we've all kind of collectively forgotten because we haven't seen it in so long. Ben Simmons was the best defensive player in the league for a couple of years there because he could defend all five positions and defend all five positions equally well. So I think, you know, the, the lack of a jump shot is something that everybody kind of hammers on with him is, you know, uh, well, he can't shoot it, so he's not a good player, but he was still a top-tier playmaker. He still was able to put up 15 or so points per game despite not having a jumper. So as long as he's not out there as a complete non-entity, I think Simmons is going to be in the mix. Now, my question is, if Johnson is back healthy, do you stay with kind of the status quo and move it forward and then bring Simmons off the bench, or do you go right to Simmons? But if Simmons isn't starting by, let's say, the holidays, so Christmas, New Year range, that's a problem for for Brooklyn because he's probably either not good enough to start or he just doesn't have it anymore. And then that becomes a major question of, all right, what do we do with this contract? With the New York Knicks, who is the backup power forward? Yeah, the smallest probably backup power forward in the league is going to be six foot five wing Josh Hart. Mm-hmm. Um, they they did it last year after acquiring him. He really kind of came in and and bumped Obi Toppin out of the uh, rotation quite often, especially by the playoffs. Uh, Hart was starting, but he, he'll be you know fully in the mix there. So what they're going to do is probably play really small uh, lineups when Randall sits. Now, what I wrote in the piece is. This is fine, right? You're talking about 12 to 15 minutes per game at most that you need to fill when Randall's not on the floor. And Randall has been extremely durable uh, throughout the course of of his career outside of having an injury, you know, very early on, uh, which was a, you know, fluke broken leg. Uh, He's been pretty durable and especially during his next time. But the challenge is if we get into a spot where Randall does miss a lot of time it's not sustainable to say josh hart steps into the starting group and that's where it's a bit of a problem because they don't have obi Toppin anymore who you could plug in there and say there you're gonna now get 30 minutes a night and off we go so so that'll be something they're gonna have to work through if randall misses time so basically i'm gonna say this isn't a problem until it is and if you're the next you hope it never becomes a problem in philadelphia this may change. Who starts at guard if James Harden isn't there? 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's crazy that it's October 10th as we record this and we still have no real resolution on that. Maybe the resolution is James Harden is there, right? It sounds like he's practicing and doing what he was supposed to do and all that stuff. So we'll see, you know, what happens ultimately with that one. But if he's not there, and I think at some point we all assume he won't be, um, of course, one answer could be whoever they acquire could come in and start. Um, but if we go with the guys that are already there, uh, I think it will be DeAnthony Melton. Uh, mostly because he was the guy last year. If Harden or Maxi missed time, he stepped in. He's been a really good third guard because he can play both on and off ball. He can do a lot of stuff. Um, the other option, though, and it's kind of a sneakier option, is Patrick Beverly could start. He hasn't come off the bench in years. It's been years since he has not been a regular starting player. So we'll see if that becomes uh, something they do. They'd be pretty small with him and Tyrese Maxey starting together. Beverly is generally started next to uh, bigger players. Even if he does play more of an off-ball role on offense, he's usually the one guarding opposing point guards alongside a bigger playmaker. So we'll see. My guess is it's probably Melton and Beverly, and they kind of battle a little bit. And my thought is, it's probably Melton. Melton has come off the bench, so he's clearly comfortable in that role. Uh, and then it's Nick Nurse. He could go crazy and do something like Kelly Uber Jr. starts, and he goes really big um, across the board, and that's something he's done in the past. But right now, I mean, it really does look like maybe the answer is it's just James Harden, and then we'll see if a trade actually does develop out of somewhere. In Toronto, who starts yeah, this is a little messy. They, I, I, I think what they opened their uh, preseason with is probably going to be what they run with. So it'll be Pascal Siakam, Scotty Barnes, OG Ananobi, Jakob Pertl, and Dennis Schroeder. So it, that's fairly similar-ish to what they closed out last year with, with Fred Van Vliet uh, in place of Dennis Schroeder. Obviously, he's out and Schroeder's in, so that would be a little bit of a, a difference there. But that lineup, there's not a lot of shooting there. Only only OG Ananobi is a reliable shooter in that that grouping. Um, that's tough. Dennis Schroeder has been very uh, hit or miss as a three-point shooter. He's kind of all over the place. Barnes isn't a shooter. Siakam is extremely inconsistent. And Pirtle's range is you know, measured in inches rather than feet. So I think you're in a spot where this that's where maybe you do need Gary Trent in there. Ultimately, they need to shake things up and really go in a different direction in Toronto, but they don't seem to want to do that. I think the other challenge for the Raptors, semi-related to this, is Siakam, Ananobi, and Trent are all effectively in contract years. So we're in a spot where it is, all right, you know, what's you know, what's going to happen? You know, a guy's going to be playing for, you know, stats and to try to, um, you know, impress other teams and prove that they're worthy of those big contracts. How is that all going to play out? That's going to be something I'll definitely have my eye on. You know, do guys get a little selfish? Does that make a mess? It's a rookie first-time head coach. So he's, you know, not a guy who's dealt with this in the past, doesn't have, you know, a long uh, history that can be both good and bad. He doesn't have a long history. So if he benches somebody, it's not the end of the world, so so we'll kind of see with that uh, there. Siakam was in 
trade rumors at media day was very odd because Masai Ujiri basically said, look, if guys don't play right, like we're not going to talk about extensions with them. And then Siakam kind of fired back with, I feel like I always play right when I'm out on the floor. So Toronto feels like to me, they're a disaster waiting to happen and it could all crumble and fall apart. I'll also add, in a sense, Scotty Barnes is kind of in a contract year too because he'll be extension eligible next summer uh, headed into his fourth year in the league. So he's kind of in a spot where he may want to be uh, showing some people like, hey, I'm I'm the real deal here. Like, you know, I want to get paid next summer when, when it's my turn. And that starts to become an awful lot of guys who are potentially looking for some money uh, going down the line. And that just, that has disaster written all over. Yeah, this team definitely could be a beautiful disaster from uh, from the rest of the league uh, wanting to poach any of these uh, players uh, down the stretch as we get to the trade deadline. It'll be fascinating to watch how the, their beginning is and how they are towards the middle of the season for sure. Yeah, I well, like I, I just you know I was trying to tell uh, you know someone the other day, and I was saying it really is a situation with the Raptors where. I kind of like all of the guys on the team and I like all of the talent that they have. But then when I get into it, it really is a spot where I'm like, Ugh, it's just time to change it. Like this group is, you know, they're that, uh, you know, uh, three week old open milk in your fridge. It's just time to move on. You're not getting anything good out of it. It has no more real use to it. Uh, so let, let, let's go in a different direction and, you know, see what it looks like. Cause it's, it's just, you know, all the talent is really good. It just doesn't really fit together. And they've been together too long to, I think, feel good about what they're, they, they are as a group anymore. If you're looking to read the rest of the article with the remainder of the questions, please go to spottrack.com, Atlantic Division Rotation and Roster Questions. We're going to have some more divisions this week to be posted. I know you're working feverishly on those, Keith. Um before we end here with the preseason have having started, is there any uh, uh, news notes that you have coming out of these first preseason games that you want to talk about? Uh, you know, I, I knew you were watching last night because you <laughs> sent me a note about uh, Victor Wembanyama and Chet Holmgren, like how fun that matchup Absolutely. was. And I'm, oh my gosh, I'm so excited that that we're in a spot where you know we're, we're going to get a. Uh, you know, we're we going to get a decade of this, you know, these two guys going head to head. And it seemed like they had a little bit for each other too. in the plays where they were matched up with each other. And no, those two guys, you just saw it last night. They, they, they both look like they're going to be pretty uh, special players. So, so that was a lot of fun. Um, you know, I, I thought it was uh, not nothing to do with the games or anything, but I thought it was really interesting uh, LeBron in the post game, the Lakers played their annual Las Vegas preseason game. He was asked about expansion in Las Vegas. And he basically said, yeah, it's, it's, it's just a matter of time. And, and I go back to they're building an arena there specifically with the idea of having an NBA team in it. LeBron keeps saying this. I, I, they all signs point to Seattle and Las Vegas being the two cities that get expansion teams, uh, when it comes up and then, you know, then we see, you know, kind of where it all goes uh, from there. All right. Looking forward to more preseason and more transactions as we continue. Exhibit 10s and 9s, they'll be, <clears throat> excuse me, they'll be added and waived and then 
potentially more rookie extensions if, if we get to that point. And options for rookies, third and fourth yep. year <laughs> options will be exercised here in the next couple weeks here. So a lot happening. All yeah, around. it's that's it. It, it, it. Sorry to interrupt you. It, it is not the, you know, blockbuster monster transactions. I, I don't know. Maybe it is because we just had two big trades in the last couple of weeks and maybe a hardened trade comes, but it, this is not free agency. This is not the trade deadline, but this is the busiest period of time for transactions in the league. Because as you mentioned, uh, I'll start kind of in reverse order by the end of this month, three weeks from today, as we record this actually on October 31st, teams have to just make all of their roster decisions for the guys who are, um, have a fourth, third and fourth year rookie scale option uh, for the next season. Those have to be picked up a year in advance. So there's a whole bunch of those that, that need to be handled. Uh, rookie scale extensions or players who uh, want to do an extension that have multiple years left under their contract. Those guys only have until the 23rd uh, to agree to agree to an extension. Then um, just another plug for a piece I wrote for the site, um, exhibit nine and 10 deals. A lot of people are like, what are these? training camp contracts. How do they work? What do they, why do teams sign them? What do they need them for? I wrote all about that for the site. You can go find all of that information. I'm explaining that, but we have already seen hundreds of those signed and we're probably going to see, you know, a good chunk more as teams are lining up guys for the G league and the like, but I explain all that uh, in the piece. So go find that on the site, but lots and lots of transactions, literally hundreds of uh, signings, waivers, and option decisions still to come across the NBA over the next really two to three weeks. And you and I will be all over them. Uh, Busy, busy, (laughs) busy. So thanks, Keith. We'll talk next week. Have a great uh, week and enjoy the start of NBA basketball.